0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is there a great deal more going on with schizophrenia than most people suspect? What are energy parasites? How do you sell an idea like that to mainstream mental health care?
1: Hello and welcome to the 767th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM and our 11th year on the air. I'm Ben and those energetic questions came from uh, my co-host and partner in the paranormal and dad, Paul. And today we bring you a new guest who came uh, to many of the same conclusions as my dad did when it comes to what's really going on in a psychiatric ward. Uh, we welcome your uh, calls today. Numbers are 401-766-1240 from anywhere around in the multiverse and beyond. And uh, you can send emails during the show as well. Paul at com for those.
0: And today we welcome back popular guest co-host and one of our show's producers, Laurie Greer, was an active behavioral scientist.
2: Good morning, Paul
0: and Ben. great to be back on the show, and good morning to Jerry. <laughs> Hello, all. Very good. Uh, Jerry Marzinski is a licensed mental health practitioner specializing in psychiatric care. He has served as a behavioral health social service evaluator at the Tucson Medical Center Ur- Emergency Department, Tucson, Arizona, and is a behavioral health social worker, University Physicians Kino Hospital Emergency Department, also in Tucson. Jerry is also a licensed pilot, scuba diver, and an avid explorer of nature and things that go bump in the night. Uh, Jerry, what, what uh, website would you like to bring people to? There are a lot of stuff about, a lot of things about you on YouTube, etc.
3: Well, the, the the main one is run by Sherry. It's um, KeyholeJourney.com. Keyhole and if they, if they go to the paranormal section. Uh, they'll find uh, a bunch of articles that we've written to help those out suffering with schizophrenia, okay. and a number of videos. All right. Uh, my Facebook site is, uh, you know, <clears throat> facebook.com backslash demons are for real. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Ben, start us off.
1: So, Jerry Marzinski, welcome to Behind the
3: Paranormal. <laughs> Glad to be here. It kind of took me off guard because I, I don't know how we're going to get. Anything in in an hour.
1: Well, 25 words or less for every single answer. (laughs) So working uh, with psychiatric patients, what conclusions uh, have you come to that there might have been paranormal implications? Well,
3: I I think there's paranormal implications for all of us to different degrees, but it stands out with paranoid schizophrenics. The, The voices that they hear are not hallucinations like psychiatry would like you to believe uh, and they haven't done a single study on those things they have pronounced them to be uh, meaningless hallucinations uh, a- anybody who tries to talk to them about them uh, gets blown off except when a schizophrenic says the voices are telling me to kill myself then they react to them as if they're real they lock those guys up, put them on heavier doses of medications, put them on suicide watch, and don't let them back out until they're they're drugged up. Um, and their suicide rate is is five to ten times that of the normal population. So they, when they tell a psychiatrist, "Hey, the voices are telling me to kill myself," the psychiatrists act like somebody. Put a braining iron on them or something. I mean, they just go into. They treat them as very real, but everything else the voices say are hallucinations, which is <laughs> very interesting.
1: Um, now, can you think of any sort of real life examples of this? Of what? Oh well, anything you've sort of you've sort of worked on in, in the past where there's sort of been kind of this this influence of these quote voices unquote.
3: Oh shoot, they're, they're always influencing these guys. Um, and, and most of the studies I've done is with paranoid schizophrenia and, and some of the others. I mean, I'm, I'm in touch with a number right now of, of schizophrenics who are actually working and holding down jobs and still struggling with their voices. But the, the, the major implication of, of the voices is that they are always consistently, unswervingly negative and destructive. You know, they, they, they don't say anything positive and if they do, it's, a, it's to reel the person in and then to get them later. So it, there's a consistent pattern of, of negative, destructive messages. And, and you kind of got to stop and think, you know, what is it that holds these voices onto a negative pattern? And we all experience them. You know, the schizophrenics experience them very intensely, and they're much more noticeable there. But all of us have negative thoughts that pop into our heads that cause negative emotional reactions. And that's exactly what they want. They want to generate as much um, negative emotional energy as they possibly can.
0: Okay. Uh, I believe our special guest co-host has some questions. Okay.
2: Yeah. Good morning, Gary. Um, Good morning. I'm really interested in the type of therapy that you do um, with your patients, just kind of in what realm you you work and is um, what you do evidence-based because there's all kinds of therapies now that are popping up, um, you know, especially I deal with a lot of autism and there's, you know, every week there's a different theory of, um, you know, what kind of therapy is going to work and there's no evidence to support a lot of these therapies. And then my other question was if you could just speak about um, why you disagree with the chemical imbalance uh, theory. And you state that the establishment has no solution or cure, but you do. So I'd like, like to know what your cure is and, and what the data is to
3: support that. Well, it's, it, it's not just me anymore. Uh, back in the 1920s, a guy named Carl Wickland, a dentist, had a psychic wife, and he would use uh, high-voltage static electricity with very little amperage. Uh, to drive these voices out into his wife. And then if he would was able to talk them into the light, those voices would disappear. There's a fellow in Greece right now who's a hypnotherapist, Athenos, uh, I, I, I forgot his last name, uh, but he is doing similar things to what uh, Wickland did. Uh, not only is he a hypnotist, uh, and talking these voices into the light, at which point they disappear. But if they're recalcitrant and they won't leave on their own, he's using something akin to Tesla's uh, um, high-voltage, high-intensity violet ray, which is another um, high-voltage, low-amperage device. And I've heard uh, Wickland speak of when he used his static electricity device that the voices experienced that as a painful thunderstorm a painful lightning storm, and they would they would leave temporarily. Uh, but if, if they weren't walked out and if something doesn't replace where they are, then they will come back. And just like the Bible said, they'll come back in force. So the person has to move. This is a spiritual disease. It's not a biochemical disease. Now, you talk about a chemical imbalance theory, that has been improved. Uh, disproved over and over and over again. Not only do they not have any evidence for it, they got a weak correlation. They have no idea what the chemical balance of the brain even is or what it should be. Have you ever seen them give a single lab test to any of these people to measure anything? No, they go in there with this, this, Wagon load of drugs, and they'll they'll hit them with one without any lab tests, without looking for any kind of imbalance whatsoever. And if that doesn't work, they'll try another. It's like a kaleidoscope. You know, there is no test that will measure the chemical imbalance of the brain. They don't even uh, they don't even know what it is. They have no idea what it is. But they're selling 3.5 billion dollars worth of antipsychotic drugs a year, based on their chemical imbalance theory. That's been disproven over and over again. There's a fellow, a neurologist, uh, I forgot what his name was, but he wrote an entire book debunking them, and they've been debunked over and over again. They have no proof for a chemical imbalance anywhere. You know, it just doesn't exist. They're making a lot of money with it, though. But uh, paranoid schizophrenia is a spiritual disease. Um, and it, 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 you know, these things are hitting all of us all the time. You know, you're walking around, you have this negative thought just bolts into your head, and you go, where the devil did that come from? It's something that doesn't belong there. It's something you wouldn't think, you know, and it just appears. And you go, where would that come from? You
2: know, well, I, I have um, another another question, and I know that um, in some of the things I've read um, on your website, that you your, your feelings are that PhD training in the psychiatric field is meant to brainwash Perspective PhDs and believing what they're told and doing what the system wants wants them to do. Now, I'm not a fan of psychiatrists either. I'm not a fan of medication, and especially I'm not a fan of prescribing medication without looking at the data and the behaviors that result from some of these um, implementing some of these strategies. But um, I wanted to know. Um, what your opinion is on that and also and what what is your solution? You say you have a, a, a solution or a cure. What is it? And also I wanna know what it, what your therapy looks like. Can you describe one of your sessions, one of your therapeutic sessions?
3: Uh boy that would take that would take a while. Let me answer your first question first. You were talking about medications. Um, they do have their place and and they they are important and they're a, were a number of patients that I would never be able to reach if they could not be calmed down enough to talk to them. So what those medications do is they merely suppress the psychotic symptoms. Unless they're caught early enough and and hit with these medications, uh, they don't go away. You know, most people hear them on top of the medications, even so, so they're great at suppressing these things and you can't reach them unless you can suppress those voices because the voices see you as a threat and they get louder. They will consistently tell the patient, don't go there, don't keep your appointment, this guy's crazy, he's stupid, uh, you know, he, he, anything to keep you, to keep them from, from keeping their appointment. Now the only reason those things work is because they calm the patient down. They don't work because of any chemical imbalance. They work because they calm them down. And what the voices want is they want them upset. They want them using drugs like amphetamine and alcohol and, and whatever they can do to increase that negative emotional energy that they generate. And that's the reason why they're always negative. They feed off of that negative emotional energy. And any schizophrenic you talk to who hears the voices, they will know that after those voices hit, That they're completely drained of energy and they have no idea where that energy goes and they don't even make the correlation unless they're pointed, it's pointed to. And, and sometimes even when it's pointed to, they can't see it. So, one of the things I saw right off the bat when I was working at the Central State Hospital, which was, was at the time one of the biggest in the world, if not the biggest, is that these patients would not stay on their antipsychotic drugs. They would eventually go off. They would eventually relapse. We we would find them jobs, put them out there. They'd go off their meds. They'd screw up. They'd get fired. I mean, this was consistent. Eventually, they would go off those drugs, and I couldn't figure out why. It didn't make any sense. It was the only thing at the time that we knew that kept them sane enough to work. So so you you bring them in. You go, well, why would you go off your drugs? Well, I don't like the side effects. So it got to the point where... You know, that had to be, that had to be addressed. So what I would do is get all the symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia, copy them down on a piece of paper. And then I'd tell them, uh, I'm getting feedback here. Then I'd tell them to write down all the s- symptoms of the voices of schizophrenia that they've experienced. Because they don't all experience them all. I would take that and then I would give them this two page questionnaire and say, which of these symptoms have you experienced out of the DSM? Everything. And then they would check off a whole bunch of them and I'd hand them back to them and I'd say, which one is worst? And they'd look at them. They could see for themselves that if they didn't take their meds, going psychotic was much, much, much worse. And then you'd ask them, well, then why did you go off your meds? And they go, well, I don't know. And that's the answer I got for years. I don't know. I don't know. Well, can't you see what happens when you do? Well, yeah, I see it. But then why do you keep going off your meds? I don't know. Finally, you know, toward the seventh year, I was working at the state hospital. I had one gal come in. She was in trouble. She was about to get thrown out of the program. Uh, because she kept going off her meds and we're going okay you won't stay on your meds we don't know what else to do with you you're not going to be a, you're not going to succeed at, at any kind of job so you know she was being threatened to be dropped from the program and her mother called from south georgia and said no no please i want to come up and talk to you guys and please don't drop her so the mother came up and and all three of us were sitting in uh, my office one day and uh we're we're Asking her, you know, I'm like, listen, you know, you were doing good in class while you were taking your medicines. You know, you're going to be a cosmetologist if you can stay on these things. But the teacher's about to drop you because this is like the third time that you've gone off your meds and went psychotic. And I said, well, why do you keep doing that? And her mother was begging her, why do you do that? And she said, because the voices told me to. They told me they were poison, that the psychiatrist was poisoning me. And I don't know how many times I've heard that in the past. And I'm like, well, where's that coming from? And then the voices point to the side effects of the medications, which are not good. They're not great. And they say, well, look, you are being poisoned. Aren't you feeling these side effects? Don't you feel drowsy? Don't you feel irritable? Don't you feel like your brain's got syrup on it? Don't you feel awful? Well, Well, yeah. Well, he's poisoning you. And then you look at the attack rate of psychiatric patients against psychiatrists alone. It, it, again, it's five to ten times that of any other doctor. And at the state hospital, psychiatrists were being attacked constantly. I noticed that right away. And it's like, why psychiatrists? Why not psych nurses? Why not counselors? Why not psychiatrists? Uh, you know, Why not attendants? The attack rate upon psychiatrists was almost equal to attendants that were around these people 24 hours a day. And you kind of sit back and think, like, what is a psychiatrist doing to these patients in 15 or 20 minutes? They see them a month that are making them so aggravated they're being attacked. I just didn't understand it for a long time. But it's the medications. The voices see those medications as poison to them and they do not want the patient taking those things and they that's the first thing they go after and then after they get the patient off the medications they go after all support and they go after the family and start telling the family you know uh, the patient well the, you can't trust the family stay away from them don't tell them anything and you know, schizophrenics hear these voices and they try to tell people about them and they get written off. They get put on drugs. They get locked up. They, people, their friends drop away. They go, well, there's something bad wrong with this person. You know, normal people don't hear, you know, evil voices talking to them, telling them bad things and it kind of spooks them out. So they learn to keep those voices to themselves. So these, the, what I've found is that patients will break up into three different classes. Uh, and we're talking about paranoid schizophrenics here and, and those who hear voices. The first class is those who believe what the psychiatrists say, that this is a chemical imbalance, these voices are unreal, and that they're psychotic, their brain is broken, and the only treatment is these toxic chemicals that they feed them over long periods of time. Those are the guys that are least likely to recover. You know, those are the worst off. The second group are those who suspect that the voices are not who they are and they're battling with that and, you know, they take their meds and then they go off their meds and, you know, these things are are, are working to take control of their mind. And the third group and the most successful are those who realize that these voices are not who they are. The, the messages that they're being given are not thoughts that they want to think they're not who they think they are, and the intent, their intent of what they want for their lives is very different than the intent of the voices that are telling them. And, and a lot of times I'd uh, tell, you know, the patient when I was working in the psych department of the state prison, you know, I'd ask them, well, you know, where did listening to your voices get you? Well, that got me thrown in prison. And I'd say, well, was that your intention? Is that what you wanted for yourself? And they'd go, no then you'd have to ask them, well, whose intention is it? You know, and that left them with an interesting question. So the first thing that has to be done is to move away from this horse crap that psychiatry is telling these patients and for them to realize that these voices are actual entities and that their main purpose is to generate negative emotional energy which they feed off of. And that's where it goes when these, uh, these schizophrenics are saying, hey listen, I was rolling, tossing in bed all night. I didn't do anything except roll and toss. And I feel as exhausted as if I was working on a railroad track out in the hot sun all day. Right? So the truth has to come out for them to recover. The more attention they give to the voices, the stronger they get. Okay. Uh, Lori, do you have further questions?
2: I'll, I'll hold them for
0: now. Let you talk okay. for a while. All right. Uh, let's see, Jerry. Um, let's compare notes. Okay. One of the things that drew us to you was uh, the fact that I had come to similar conclusions, albeit way back in the '70s, and from a different perspective. I was a, I was a student for the priesthood and I was in uh, psychiatric hospitals, uh, particularly Ogdensburg State Hospital in New York, uh, in a pastoral capacity, you know, visiting patients, and also uh, on on the sly assisting a priest who believed that exorcism was the answer for some of these, these things. Uh, very early on, I came to the same conclusion you did about these being entities, okay? Uh, on one occasion, there was someone, I'm sure you've run into this too, who was faking it. There was a patient who was in his 60s who, uh, he had a lot of issues, but he wasn't really hearing voices, we came to the conclusion, you know. Others, however, were and that there were seven people who were uh, subject of exorcisms, which I early on did not think was the right thing to do. And I'm interested in the, the different conclusions that you and I have come to beyond that. Uh, you believe these are spirits, and you uh, had mentioned before, talking them into the light. I'd like to hear more about that because that that usually applies to sort of the, the classic spiritualist interpretation of this end of the paranormal where it's all about dead people. Uh, so these energy parasites, in your opinion, are they dead people? Are they demons in, in, in the uh, folklore sense of the word? Uh, you know interpreted um, how they were interpreted by our ancestors uh what exactly are these energy parasites and what do you mean by talking them into the light
3: well you, you, there's a lot of <laughs> there there's a, there's a, that that's a whole bunch of uh, uh questions there um, yeah sorry let me I'm an old reporter let me let me go back to the beginning there um there was one thing I wanted to say. Oh, oh, okay, I know what, what it was. Is it, while I was working in the psych department of the state prison, alright, I had to figure out which guys were actually psychotic and, and which were faking because those guys in there will tell the psychiatrist anything to get any kind of medication that would dumb them down. Yeah. And they didn't have to face that reality. So they were constantly coming in with uh, all these crazy symptoms saying, well, yeah, I'm hearing voices, you know. And in order to ferret that out, you had to know enough about the voices from learning from the schizophrenics, which means you had to actually stop and listen to them and figure out how to reach them and how to contact them because they don't want to talk about this stuff. And the voices don't want them talking about this stuff because they don't want any interference from anybody, especially a psychiatrist. So you have to know the patterns these things run, what they say, what they do, how they operate. And some of these prisoners would actually corner a schizophrenic and say, what did you tell them in order to get the meds? So they'd come in with that set story, you know. And they would run that by, and, and you ask them like, okay, uh, after the voices hit, uh, you have more energy, less energy, or, or about the same energy as you had before. Okay, they got a one out of three chance of getting that right. Okay, if they say they have more energy, you know they're, they're bullcrapping. Um, you know, well, the voices ever tell you anything good? Well, yeah, sometimes, you know, which very, very rarely. Or you ask them what the voices do tell you, and it doesn't match the pattern. So (laughs) you have to know what these things say and how they operate. And a lot of times, as I move further along and knew more about them, I would tell the patient. Now, if you go to tell the patient they're energy parasites, you better hang on to your chair (laughs) because that will always set off a negative reaction, and the voices will attack you. Yeah, you know, but that can be used against them. It, it's like, you know, nobody understand. I mean, therapists in general don't understand these things. So they'd come into me and they'd tell me about them and I'd say, well, yeah, I know. And, uh, I would tell them stuff about the voices to let them know that I understood what they were because they can't communicate with anybody. They can't, they're alone. They, they're hearing these things. They don't dare tell anybody. And somebody comes along and goes, well, yeah, they do this, they do that. Everything you go, yeah, we're well, yeah, taught you. I had one guy ask me, you know, how do you know all this stuff? Are, are you crazy? I'm like, well, yeah, maybe. You know. <laughs> but, uh, uh yeah, they run very set, defined patterns. And not only do they do that, they were running the same patterns 2,500 miles away at the state hospital in Georgia as they were running here in in the state prison in in uh, Arizona.
0: Yeah, same patterns. So it's
3: like they're all made from the same cookie cutter. Yeah. So you can throw that against them and, and you know, let the person know, let the patient know, well, okay, I know about these things. This is what they do. This is how they operate. And they go, well, yeah? Wow. And then you got their attention and the voices are trying to draw them away. And you ask them, well, are you hearing the voices now? And okay. they say, well, no, well, you, you're going to be hearing them in about five minutes. And this is what they're going to say. And So when you go to tell them that these things are energy parasites, that's the last thing they want that patient to know. They don't want them to know they're being fed off of. And then you go to tell them that, and the voices, in five minutes, they kick in and start screaming, you know, okay. try to blot out what I was trying to say. You know. So, right. you know, you better, you better have... You better fasten your seatbelt if you go to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Jerry, we're going to take our uh, bottom of the hour break here. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley uh, with our special guest co-host today, Lori Greer, and with our amazing guest, Jerry Marzinski. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Manny Brando.
2: And this is Virginia. We're here to tell you our new showtime is one hour later, Sunday from 9 a.m. to 10. Oh, good. I can sleep another hour. You do, and you'll be late for breakfast. ON Radio, ON Worldwide.
0: Okay, welcome back behind the paranormal. Uh, we will talk in our um, announcement section a little bit about the charities we have adopted. Uh, of course uh, oh. foremost among those right now was of course the the disaster relief in the American Red Cross terrible terrible things going on in California with the, these fires, the worst in the state's history. And uh, certainly uh, victims remaining from the hurricanes that occurred earlier this year. So uh, that link w- uh, on our website, com, will bring you to the uh, funding page, donation page for the American Red Cross, which is a charity we trust. We'll, more about that later. Okay, let's get back to our special guest, uh, Jerry uh, Marzinski. Uh, Jerry, uh, if you want to continue your thoughts uh, on what these energy parasites really are. We have some listener questions as well, so why don't you take a minute to finish up your thoughts on that, and we'll get to some listener questions.
3: Okay. The, the, the questions asked were, were good ones, um, and we, we don't have enough time in an hour to cover it. But there is a cutting-edge therapist who has taken off from the work of Carl Wicklund in the 20s in Greece right now, and he has written a book called Rapid Entity Attachment Release. A breakthrough in the world of spirit possession and releasement, and the guy's name is A T H A N A S I O S KAMINOS K O M I A N O S. So, all the questions, Laurie, that you asked, the answers are in this book. This guy is cutting edge. Not only does he use the electricity to drive out the uh, recalcitrant ones, uh, he's getting Very good results. Now like you said, Paul, I don't I suspect that you know, and I worked with a uh exorcist in the prison. I didn't know he was at the time, but the the inmates told me. Uh and they can't drive these out. But I think the problem is if the patient does not turn onto a positive spiritual path and increase their frequency and keep moving on a positive spiritual path, these things, like the Bible said, will return, and I've seen them return in spades. They bring others with them, and then it becomes much harder. So it's, you know, the medical mafia has, has everybody brainwashed that you take a pill and you're cured, you know. Their pills don't cure this thing. So the patients a lot of times, they take these antipsychotic drugs and the voices lessen or sometimes go away for periods of time and they think they're cured. So they don't have to do anything else. They they don't have to keep moving in a positive spiritual direction. They think they're cured so they just carry on with the same mindset and frequency that they had before and these things return and they go, "Oh, oh, oh, I don't understand this. No, it takes work and it takes work on their part. And I always ask them when I start off is, you know, do you really want to get rid of these things? And if they tell me maybe or or no, I don't spend any more time on them because it takes a lot of work on their part. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. Uh, Laurie has another question. Uh,
2: yes, Siri. Um, my question is, how does um, other treatment options such as electric um, convulsive therapy, how does that affect? these um, the, the voices the spirits the demons whatever whatever it is you categorize them
3: as well that, that that's real interesting because they would give like 3,000 of these uh, ECT uh, shocks a year at, at the state hospital I was working at the, the population there was over 10,000 when I was there um, and what happens is that I mean these I, I watched them do one of these things and I almost fainted and, I, and I'm not weak You know, I don't have a weak stomach, but I almost passed out after watching one of those. So the effect they usually have on the voices is they will drive them out for a period of time. And the patient who receives an ECT, uh, they will, they will vanish for a while. You know, it might be days, it might be weeks, maybe a month, but they'll eventually come back. So those shocks do, do, do drive them out. Um, so I was working with a, a, a clinical psychologist, um, uh, Wilson Van Dusen, who wrote the book The Presence of Other Worlds, and kind of was working with him for about two years, and we were kind of, you know, he wanted me to try to use one of these shock machines in the prison, which probably would have got me locked up. Uh, <laughs> so I was trying to think of, okay, what can we do to administer something similar that, that might have the same effect? All right. Now, one thing strange I found at the state hospital is that the voices hate the repetition of the 23rd Psalm. They hate it. They go nuts with that. They try to make the person stop. And anything that they didn't like, I would throw at them and ask the patient to give them a double dose of it, which got me in trouble sometimes because it kicked up the voices. And psychiatrists didn't want to, you know, you're upsetting my patients with whatever you're doing in there. You better stop it. Um but uh, I found that if they put a rubber band around their wrist and every time the voices came, they snapped it, that would be enough of a shock to shut up the voices for, you know, from 10 to 30 seconds to a minute, and that would be enough for them to continually repeat the 23rd Psalm, which the voices hated. Now, um, that that cured nothing, but what it did do is give the patient a feeling that they had some control finally. Know, they, they could finally do something against these things that would shut them up on their own.
0: Okay, uh, let's go to listener question here. As I can see, you're right, Jerry. It's going to be uh, quite a bit of um, uh, less time than we need to talk about the th- yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, 23 Psalm, by high. the way. Is the That's why we have back. Shepherd, so. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, Ben, this is from Irene in Chicago.
1: Alrighty. So, Irene writes to us... Uh, Let's see. Uh, there does exist a body of evidence that suggests that schizophrenia is rooted in neurobiology and that the symptoms of schizophrenia can be accounted for by brain activity. What evidence, what evidence do you have to support your theory? Thank you.
3: Well, to ask her what evidence she has to support hers, that's a more likely question. The evidence I have is that it works. You know, patients have recovered. And while I was in the working in the prison, I had I I didn't have the freedom to work with patients at the state hospital like I did at the prison, Mm -hmm. because you know I could experiment at the prison, and if they you know got upset, I mean that didn't even break the ambient noise level there. So what I did was anything that worked. I mean, if if it would have been squashing piss ants on Wednesday night at three o'clock, I would have been doing that. Anything that worked, and even if it partially worked, I would throw it in there and try it. And after after 10 or 15 years at the prison, these guys started recovering, and they went off their meds. And the voices didn't return, and the psychiatrists noticed that they weren't taking their meds and that I was spending up to four hours sometime talking to them in the office when nobody else could deal with them for more than 20 minutes, um, And I got pulled up and, and underwent an inquisition. What are you doing? This isn't supposed to happen. Uh, I I was, I was investigated for experimenting, uh, with prisoners without the permission of the Department of Corrections, which I would have never gotten, you know. And, and I thought, hey, you know, I'm saving you guys all this money in antipsychotic meds, which are expensive, and, and you want to shut this down? You got me under investigation because these guys are are recovered. They're getting better. I thought you'd be happy about that. No, it was the opposite. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. So what they did is started pulling in prisoners and asking them what what was he doing in there? What are you doing in there? And they would not tell him. So I was protected by a, a bunch of psychotics. It was the biggest compliment I'd ever gotten, and not one of them would say anything. One of them said, uh, he's helping us, not like you, asshole, which got me in a lot of trouble. Uh, and then they found another one who had an MMPI showing that he, it was a valid MMPI, it was fairly recent, showing that he was, he was definitely psychotic. So the chief psychologist asked him, well, would you be willing to take another one now that your voices are supposed to be gone? And he did, and it was... It came out normal with no psychotic symptoms, and it was a valid profile. So that got me in more trouble. So the bottom line, what Athenos and what Weakland and what Van Dusen and some others are doing right now is working. It It's working, and that's the bottom line. Does it work? All right. Are these guys cured? Psychiatry is curing nothing with their medications. matter of fact, those things are toxic. They are killing brain cells. They're rotting out the peripheral nervous system. They're causing EPS. They're causing Parkinsonian symptoms. They're slowly poisoning the patient, just like the voices say. I mean, they're good for short-term use, so you can reach the patient and talk him out of it because you know, there's a lot of patients that are so far gone without those meds you can't even reach them You and there were some that even on the meds I'm going he's so far gone I can't get him and the voices would come up and say he's ours you know leave him alone and all right well, well the questions are piling
0: up here Jerry um, okay why don't we take one we'll go back to Laurie and, and then we'll take one from Anthony in Connecticut uh, Mike oh Ben here you go
1: oh sure so Anthony writes to us uh, my question is uh, what is uh, mental health practitioner and counselor? Uh, how do you interact? Um, or yeah, what is a mental health practitioner and counselor? How do you interact with patients? Um, and what coursework is involved in order to gain this title? And can you describe a few of your experiences that brought you to this, these conclusions? Which you already kind of did. Yeah, so just the, the first portion. Of it. <laughs> what, uh, what
3: is my title? I've had several different titles all through the years. Yeah, kind of a job uh, description thing, I think. Well, I, you know, at the, at the state hospital, I, would, I was called a counselor. Uh, at state prison, I was I was a psych associate in the psych department. Uh, when I was working in the ERs, I was a psychiatric evaluator. Uh, a bunch of different, a bunch of different names. Um, but I'll tell you, most of what I learned was not in school. Because they don't teach this in school, you know. I spent two years in a PhD program, and I, I could feel the brainwashing take effect. You know, we want you to think this way, and it was like they were putting you into a box, and you're not supposed to operate outside that box. This is the truth, what they're what they're telling me, and I've always had a very um, untrusting. Uh, relationship with authority i mean they had to prove themselves to me and what killed me at the in the doctoral program is uh you know apart from them actually coming out and teaching how to lie with statistics and and saying hey if they can't catch us that's okay you know i know like 90 percent of their research is non-replicable so they're not a trustworthy bunch to start with and uh, one day when the chief, uh, the head of the psych department was uh, giving us all a lecture with second year students, um, after he gave the lecture on how to cheat with statistics, uh, he said, are there any questions over anything? And I rose my hand and I said, uh, yeah, where do thoughts come from? Because I thought they were hiding that in the Ph.D. program because they didn't teach it in the undergraduate psych. They didn't teach it in the master's psych. And so far after two years, I hadn't heard a word about it in in the Ph.D. program at all. So I'm like, okay, that's what I'm after. That's what I want. Where do thoughts come from? Here's the head of the department asking if there's any questions. I hit him with that one, and he stood there, and he looked at me like I had just fallen out of a flying saucer at his feet. Or ask the question, where does a candle flame go when you blow it out? I mean, he just like stood there just staring at me for like 20 seconds. And he goes, well, uh, come up after lecture and I'll talk to you about that. And uh, when I went to walk up to him after lecture, he disappeared. So I went, okay, <laughs> you know, better not push that one again.
0: Well, it was like me in the seminary. Uh, let's go back to Lori who has a question. Okay. All right, I have a um,
2: first a columnist and then a question. And the comment is that a lot of the behaviors that we see with individuals with pictures spreading out can be, there could be various explanations for them, such as the auditory hallucinations could be a second of Um voices. Un, un, unintelligible speech could be um, mistaken for demon possession, Visual hallucinations could be um, described also as, as apparitions. So how do you, you know, differentiate between what they actually are
3: and another question was... Whoa, 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 one at a time. <laughs> okay, you were breaking up some on your question. So what what you were asking was how do you differentiate what these things are? Right, because they could,
2: they have similar definitions. To... Because auditory hallucinations... And okay, and th- those are the first.
3: Yeah, the psychiatry calls them hallucinations, which means they're not real, but they run very specific, repeatable patterns. Hallucinations are random. They're all over the place. They're positive. They're negative. They're neutral. They're just all over the place. These things are consistently, unswervingly negative and destructive, and you have to stop and ask yourself, What holds them in that pattern? Now, psychiatry won't look far enough to even ask that question. They're telling these people, these are hallucinations, and they've never asked them about them. And if they do ask them about them, then they just pile more drugs on if they tell them the truth. So... They just close the door they 're not listening to these people. I, I get all these notes all these all these emails from all these people who who have heard voices and are hearing them now and they go they 're not listening to us they're not listening they, we can 't talk to them. you know it's, they they're telling us what goes on. We know what goes on you know so i'm going to start posting some of that stuff, and they're all saying the same thing they're all saying the same thing. you know hundreds of them they're all saying the same. God-darn thing about their voices. I mean, it's consistent. And here's psychiatry telling, "Oh yeah, you're crazy. These are hallucinations. These aren't real." And they're going, "The hell they're not." You know, all of them. Yeah. Okay, I don't know if that answers uh, your question or not.
0: <laughs> all right, well, well let, me, let me jump in here. <clears throat> um, uh, this is—we're um, all over the place here, but I, that's the nature <laughs> yeah. of, of, the, of the beast. Jerry, uh, in your opinion. Uh, I don't know what you would think of my opinion that I formed at Augensburg in the 70s, and that's that these parasites do not necessarily cause mental illness, but that mental illness is real, and sometimes they will take advantage of it in order to feed, with some some exceptions. I mean, every case is different. I mean, do you feel that... So I don't want to get too medieval here and, and, and attribute all our problems to demons you know uh, on the other hand uh, there is a factor there but what, what say you on that? Well
3: uh, there are a bunch of different kinds of mental illness <coughs> and and one I think is due to a chemical imbalance like they say it is would be um, bipolar where it does respond to lithium you know, that that's the only one I think may be an imbalance but I think most of the rest have to do with how the how the person thinks, and all of us are hearing these things to some degree. You know, you're walking along and this, this negative thought bolts in your head, and it and it generates a whole bunch of uh, negative energy. You know, that's where it comes from. But it, it has to do with frequency. You know, if if you're at a low frequency, if you're thinking negative, you're going to attract more of it and with schizophrenics and the voices i don't think that's got virtually anything to do with a chemical imbalance in most cases it's the how they think it's it's the 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 thoughts they hear in their head and a lot of them hear those same things outside of their head. So my experience up until a couple of weeks ago was that they usually start in the head and when they get strong enough, they move outside of the person's head and they start talking to them like you're hearing me right now, like a discarnate voice from outside of themselves. But it's the same voice. And I thought that's how it worked. They start inside and then they go outside. And that's real freaky when you start hearing voices outside your head talking or whispering in your ear. But I had one fella who's been pretty honest. He said they started outside and then moved inside. But if you look at your own thinking, you know, you sit there and you track it and watch what you think. Know, and you'll get carried off, and you'll get carried off into the future. You'll get carried off in the past. You'll start thinking about, oh, what about this? What about that? And it's all anxiety-provoking material. So, you know, if I'm hearing unless you, you, okay, you have he- to stay in the present. If you're not going to be carried off somewhere.
0: All right. If I'm hearing you correctly, uh, we have these voices as as entities intertwining with real. Disorder, such as uh, social withdrawal, delusions, disordered thinking, that sort of thing?
3: Well, that's not a, uh, social withdrawal is part of the deal. The voice, first of all, it, it's hard for a schizophrenic to deal with anybody. You know, because they're, they're in a totally different world that nobody will understand. And the voices tell them this. And they say, don't talk about us because they'll lock you up. You know, they don't understand. They'll never understand. Just keep this to yourself. And they don't want them dealing with the the parents who are trying to help them because they don't want them to receive any help. Now, believe it or not, I've had a whole bunch of them tell me that marijuana helps because it doesn't have any negative withdrawal effects. The big thing that the voices want is for them to use amphetamine. And cocaine and amphetamine is their number one choice. And I don't know how many prisoners have told me that the voices, when they ran out of amphetamine, the voices would tell them where to be and when to be there, and somebody would show up with that amphetamine. When, and then? T- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, uh, where, Ben. Did you want to get in
0: here? I mean, um, we're kind of.
1: I'm trying to. Th- well, we're coming. Here. We're coming down to the ro- to the wire here. So. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: there's one thing I wanted to get in. Uh, have you or any of your colleagues? Professor, I'd like to know what your colleagues think of, of your ideas. And have you or any of your colleagues actually heard different voices coming from the same person? Because I have, and it was attributed to DID, dissociative identity syndrome, or multiple personalities. So have you actually heard these voices yourself and were sure they were not the person
3: uh, who was the victim speaking on their own? I I have only heard them once, and that's when I prayed and asked to hear them. And they sounded just like my regular thoughts, just like all the other ones, the millions of thoughts I have a day. They sound just like that. They don't sound any different. There's no change in timber. There's no change in intensity. It's just like your regular thought. But that thought does not belong in your head. It's like that's not my thought. You know, I know that's not my thought. And and you know, there's a whole story behind that, but there was a definite knowing that that thought and that whole series of interactions with that particular voice was not me. And I kept doing what I needed to do despite it. And eventually, I ended up at the bottom of the lake around midnight holding my breath in the mud. And it did not follow me down there. It didn't go below the surface. But when I surfaced, it would say, you're going to drown, you're too far out. Um, lights are going off on the shore. You're going to get hit by a motor." I mean, pfft. All this stuff. But that wasn't me. I mean, I, I, I'm like a fish in the water. I, I've, I've scuba-dived for years. The water is my friend. I'm not afraid of it. And this thing was trying to get me to panic. And it was not me. Now, that's the only time I've heard them. But uh, there was one time where the uh, one of the prisoners came in and said, uh, my voices want to talk to you. And that had never happened before. And that was like after 25 or 30 years of working with these people. It was always the, the patient would tell me what they were saying. They never spoke to me directly. So this kind of took me back. And I'm like, they want to speak to me directly? And he goes, yeah. They want to talk to you. So he sat down. And I said, okay. <laughs> what do they have to say? And these words came out of his mouth. You have no right. To interfere with our way of life. And I was blown away. Our way of life, plural, that wasn't the patient. You know, and then he comes, he goes, that wasn't me, I didn't say that. And that took me a couple of weeks to get over because up until that point, my denial system was in tatters, but it, it had not collapsed. I was still thinking somehow this was some facet of their subconscious mind coming out, and and it had something to do with the subconscious, you know. And that these I kept denying that these were separate entities. It, it, well past the point anybody else would have went, <laughs> yeah. It's clear that these are, but when that happened. I had no doubt anymore, and it just shook me to my core. My denial system completely collapsed. you know I went into shock, and it, it took me a, a few weeks to settle out from there, and it got worse from there. Okay. you know Ben we're out of time. Do you want to get one last uh, thought in here
1: um, i guess i guess I'll, I guess we'll just end with this. Um, if anybody's struggling with with schizophrenia what's what's the first step you'd kind of uh, give them?
3: Uh, that the voices are real, that they're destructive, and that they're feeding off of them. But you better be careful with that one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Lori. Any final thoughts?
2: Uh, no, I'm good, okay.
0: okay. Well, that's a succ- succinct answer. Jerry, thank you very much. Give us your website uh, and um, where you know where people can find out more about you. One more time.
3: Okay. Uh, you, you can go to Sherry's website. Uh, it's Keyhole Journey dot com under the paranormal section you'll find a whole list of videos and a whole list of articles that will help people who are hearing voices um, okay. to get this information out uh, and also uh, my facebook site uh, the presence of under uh, other worlds and schizophrenia
0: okay very good Jerry thank you uh, we're in the deep woods here I think we're going to have to have you back in order to make our way out, and, uh, but thank you for a very interesting conversation.
3: <laughs> okay, well, thanks for having me.
0: Okay. All right, folks, uh, let's get to our announcements here. 2018 is almost over, and our first event of 2019, uh, so far at least, uh, will be an encore at the Town of Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut on April 23rd. Uh, we'll keep you posted as details develop. Uh, my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist Parasites, and Parallel Worlds, has gone to the publisher, who has uh, decided to tack the word "God" at the end of that. So, poltergeist, parasites, parallel worlds, and God—mouthful. I'm—I'm uh, I'm told it will be released uh, earlier, a little bit than planned. Uh, we'll keep you posted on that, but it probably won't be before fall of next year. Uh, but as I say, we'll we'll keep you posted.
1: It's not a d. De- it, well, it's not an alliteration, so I don't like it.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it doesn't quite fit. No, and figure some theological word that begins with L.
1: No, uh, logos? Or P, I should say. Oh, P. Yeah. Oh, then I don't know. <laughs>
0: all right. So uh, our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is available as an ebook on Amazon and Apple iTunes. It's available in stores uh, as well, too. And uh, you can get all our books in print form, uh, but if you order them online at either of our two websites, BehindTheParanormal.com or New EnglandGhost.com, we'll be happy to autograph them for you.
1: And don't forget about our um, newest series, Behind the Paranormal uh, 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard Of, published last year, which is currently available from online retailers and from Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle, and at our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. You can find out more about our show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances. Uh, you'll find over 800 free recorded shows from our 10-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS radio, along with special shows and podcasts.
0: Okay, also on our website, you'll find direct links to several of the charities we mentioned, certainly the American Red Cross, to benefit those who are suffering from these terrible fires in California, Uh, also from the hurricanes and other disasters that have afflicted us uh, in in the past few years. And uh, please donate if you can. Uh, We also have um, adopted... uh, of course, usacares.org, which does great things for U.S. veterans. Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, which uh, advocates for legislation in Canada, where veterans are not, in my opinion, treated as well as they are in our country. Uh, Helping Haiti's Orphans, a wonderful charity run by people I know, uh, running the Loving Hands Orphanage near Port-au-Prince, uh, that started with victims of the earthquake there in 2010 and continues its great work. Youth Mentoring Connections in Los Angeles and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. So, Ben, what do you have for next week?
1: So, next week, uh, November 25th, uh, which will be just after Thanksgiving, here on WON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM, uh, we'll bring you an open line show uh, that will include special guest co-host Shane Searway, who uh, sometimes I think is more popular than we are on our own <laughs> show.
0: Yeah. And we leave you this afternoon with a thought that's very apt uh, for our current situation from the old darling Albert Einstein. Education is what remains after one has forgotten everything one learned in school. Uh, I, Laurie, uh, one, one or two words uh, from you. to I guess we don't tell you, um, people much about you because you're a woman of mystery.
1: Oh, that's okay. We'll, we'll keep it that way. Okay, great. I'm, <laughs> I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno.
2: And I'm Lori Greer, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you behind the
0: paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with